The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. Richard Oakley, former Business Post editor and now with the PR firm Murray is with us and Stephanie Preisner, writer and broadcaster. We're going to look through all of the stories making the news this weekend. We will get to that um, situation where Elon Musk has found himself in a fight with IBM, being abandoned by Apple, Comcast and Disney and being criticised in the uh, by the White House which isn't bad going for a day's work. We'll get to that after we talk a little bit about RTE because RTE is in the news today and uh, it's in the news because this is the week, Richie, that we see Ryan Tuberty get a gig over in Virgin Media and we see the strategic plan, which is the key to unlock the money that RTE so needs. Is this the start of the turnaround? Uh, <laughs> who would want to be Kevin Backhurst at the moment, running around from uh, Oireachtas committees, talking to his own staff, talking to media, uh, while at the same time trying to do a, a new corporate strategy in, in record speed time. Um, I've done plenty of um, media strategies over the years, uh, albeit on, on a lower scale and, and very much not in, in the same way in the public eye. Um, they're they're difficult. He, he, you know, his his latest one has kind of been it's it hasn't got much detail in it. Um, but what we know is there's going to be cuts. There's going to be voluntary redundancies. Uh, RTE having a great history of successfully running voluntary redundancy campaigns. So there's that difficulty. He's got his extra money now. Um, and you'd kind of be saying, you know, <laughs> where where does this leave the time for concentrating on the actual output? Um, and uh, yeah, what what a difficult challenge ahead, and a lot of change in in RTE. On the topic of the output, I was intrigued when I read the strategic plan. And as as former editor of the Business Post, you might have a view on this. The plan is seven thousand three hundred and sixty words long. Two of those words are journalism. Yeah, I mean, w- when he came in in the beginning, his, his, his uh, I think he got the job because he was kind of talking about digital transformation and kind of looking at their digital services. Um, and he has he has come out and said that he doesn't want cuts in that the voluntary the voluntary drone cuts will be as targeted as possible because he doesn't want cuts in in the areas where people are needed and skills are needed. And in, in relation to that, he did mention uh, digital journalism um, and that does seem to be their focus. But I think he, se- he seems to be leaning heavily in those areas on technology that will will reduce things. And look, every media outlet is is having that challenge. And I mean, I was, you know, I'm constantly involved in digital transformation projects, digital first journalism, and we're going to hear loads more of that. Um, again, though, like that, that's a big thing to take on in and of itself, but he, he has so much going on. He's going to have a fair challenge with morale, I assume, as well. I mean, that's, it's not just his challenge, I guess. Morale has been low since the whole thing kicked off. Um, but I was interested in how this affects me, obviously, as a millennial. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've had you a TV... Just want Fair City to continue. Yeah. Well, no, I, so I've had a TV show on RTE and I'm looking at how they're funding drama and how they're going to be funding comedy in the future. And it seems like they're going to be kind of doing... They, he said about outsourcing it to other production companies. So there's this kind of way where uh, a production company will make a show, say BBC will commission a show and RTE will give them a bit of money to get the first Irish broadcast rights and then they can play it like three times across two years and they get to put their name on the end of it. And so while that's great, it means that the public service element of choosing what Irish audiences maybe should be seeing or or could could use 
you know, could could be useful, might be a little bit tainted. Now, there are definitely people out there listening, arguing, yeah, well, anything I've ever seen on RTE has been... Rah, 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 rah. But, you know, there are actually a lot of people who watch RTE and, and enjoy the content on it. I suppose the difficulty with that is there have been a number of stations over the year who have done the thing of saying, look, if we get a content production unit that we get stuff that you can then sell internationally mm-hmm. or sell into Netflix, well, then that'll be a huge money source. The only bit is that if is massive. You have to produce something that is so compelling in a massive global marketplace that you make millions off it. That ain't easy. It's not easy. And like my show that I made on RTE did sell to Netflix and it didn't make them. You know, it's not that's not, like Netflix acquire. Netflix is just like a magnet. They throw it into a thing of metal and they're like, whatever comes in. Um, so but I, I kind of feel like Kevin Backris is the man to do it. I, I don't, I'm not sceptical of what he's saying. I feel like he's come in, he's been like, no, this is, we're not continuing with the same old lark. I feel like he's going to stick well, with what he's Well, on that the same old lark, explain one bit to me in this, Richie, because the bit that I was surprised by was when he brought in, now I didn't see it in the strategic plan, maybe I didn't read it, but I didn't see the figure 250 in black and white in the strategic plan, but the way it was reported was everybody was going to be capped at 250 because that was the DG salary. Then on prime time he said, well, yeah, that's my salary, but plus I get an allowance that brings me to 306. And then RTE had to put out a thing that's in the papers today saying, well, actually, when he said 306, he meant 337 because of his pension contribution. It's not the absolute clean clarity that you would hope for in the new era, is it? Uh, well, the salaries have always been a, a, an issue in RTE. They kept them secret for a while, then eventually they revealed them, and then then they had a system of publishing a set number. Um, and look, people always question these were massively high salaries in many cases. Were people worth? That was a debate that went on um, for a long time, I suppose. If you can get those types of salaries, fair play, and off you go. Other media outlets can't afford to pay them. Um, and I think well, that's, the well, can, re- well, <laughs> that's the reality. Well, that, can I, that step, into defend, can I step in to defend him here? Yeah. I, if, I think if you stopped 100 people on Grafton Street and asked them what their salary was, they wouldn't give you the absolute salary that an accountant would be like, well, actually, with your pension contribution and your car allowance and this benefit in kind, like... I'd say they'd be within €83,000 of it. Well, maybe <laughs> Just not. Just off the top of It depends on how much <laughs> money I'm they're earning. Too high a bar. I, I don't think he was being clandestine or secretive yeah. oh, no, there was in no the number. I just think that he doesn't yeah. know. He just earns too much money. So he's like, Ariad somewhere between this But even and this. with those, I mean, the big thing here is like the elephant in the room is the license. Uh, you know, a number of people withholding it. Um, so they're all up a lot of people now. not qualifying. We you, you you took me up on this last time. We we researched it. You do not have to have a license if you don't have a TV or a, a device capable thing. <laughs> oh, fair play. So there's lots of people out there. And look, the government had talked about that that um, household charge for you know just the fact that you can get streaming and all that in your house. And like that's a really hard political decision, but it would definitely help RT's revenue. So you can't be kind of saying we need a state broadcaster and then not listening to them when they're when they're asking for certain measures. Well let's look to the other side of this story because meanwhile across the water we have one very happy man. This is Ryan Tuberty here. You can call me pretty much anything. Family call me Ryan, school friends call me Tubbs, whatever it takes. And these are my firsts on Virgin Radio. Stand by. Oh the first memory of listening to radio was in my kitchen. Uh, because uh, in my house there were radios everywhere. There was a radio in the bathroom, in the kitchen, in the garden, in the living room, in the car, everywhere. So a very famous uh, Irish broadcaster by the name of Gay Byrne would be on every morning and we'd hear the sig tune to that and go, <gasps> why am I at school? But that was it. It was always on. It was a soundtrack to my life. I have to like 
explain who, who he Gabe is. Byrne is. <laughs> but like a very famous broadcaster. Well, I'm delighted for him. Oh, and let's be clear, he is, to coin a phrase, out the gap. What does that mean? Like he's it gone. It means you have, you have leapt free of all of your problems are, and are in the sunny upland. Ireland in the rearview mirror. I'll die on this hill. I don't think he did anything wrong. I don't. I think that he was shafted by his agent. He was poorly advised. Whoever was giving him crisis communications told him to put out statements that were too fast. I can't see anyone working in that industry who would have done anything different. I have an agent. My agent raises invoices for me. I have no idea what they say. The money comes into my account. At the end of the year, my company accounts, my accountant says, sign this. I say, okay. He says, well, no, he does say, read this. And then I say, no, I don't understand. Wasn't there a gap though between what was being publicly reported and what he would have known himself. And isn't that an issue then with trust with your with your audience, if, if you're holding forth on all sorts of... Also, like they know. say, you earn this much, but he knows I don't yeah, actually. Yeah, it's been reported yeah, differently to what he would have known was the actual situation. And well, let's, yeah, let's, okay, let's, not, cool. let's not pussyfoot around it. The, the chairman of RTE said that it was a scheme designed to deceive. And what you had was a situation where there was a deliberate attempt to enter into a method of payment that kept payments out of the public domain. By his agent, though, no? Well, if if you want to lay the culpability at the floor of the agent, well, then what you might expect was some distancing from that agent. But what we have now this week is evidence that that they are best pals. If that was my agent, I'd be like, here, you need to take a bullet from me here. I'm going to throw you under the bus because you did this. I, I was very surprised when he was like, we're best friends forever and I'm standing by him. That was a crazy decision, which maybe means that he did know, but... I still think I'm, I'm glad. also a bit sketchy on this thing of well, you have an agent in there. You're a big grown up, and it is you ultimately. If it, I mean, that's the excuse that is given by every business person. Well, my consultant told me to. I was advised to. Well, you know, tough luck. You're a grown up. But like, uh, but you're a grown up. But I, I don't know about legal terminology. I don't like my contracts come into me, and they're like, okay, so you have this contract, BBC. This is how much you're going to get paid on this delivery. This, this and I'm like, oh, just I just going to sign it because I don't understand. <laughs> we need to talk during the. <laughs> I have something I need you to sign. <laughs> Do you know where the deeds to your house are kept? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other story that I want to talk about is this um, Elon Musk. In Now, obviously it is easy to go, oh, sure, it's only Elon Musk and it's the usual L stuff. I think there is more significance in this because you are talking about one, not one of the, probably the most significant platform in terms of global dialogue and discourse influence. It's hugely influential in media terms. It is owned by Elon Musk and Elon Musk has spent the last two days involved in fairly extraordinary um, uh, tweet conversations. He has one where uh, he had somebody saying a violent pro-Palestinian mob attacked police officers. Member of Cong- Members of Congress were evacuated. The Capitol was locked down. No front page coverage in the press. And he has responded to it with a little exclamation mark so that it gets retweeted or so that it gets recognised. He has uh, tweets talking about the, Jew- the Anti-Defamation League and the kind of uh, what is acceptable for Jewish people to say and not to say. He responded to a tweet that said over the the last 64 years, a black person has been 39 times more likely to murder a white female than a white person has been to murder a black female. And he has waded into this as well. All of them, Richie, you could say these are statistically correct things in many instances that he is responding to. But surely we know a dog whistle when we hear one. Oh, I mean, it's um, it's it's not a great time, is it, for the outspoken CEOs of the world, particularly ones that uh, use uh, Twitter, uh, use X a, a, a lot. Um, 
He's a, he, look. Since he took over, it it's gone into a difficult situation. It's it's its finances aren't good. The the value that he paid for it, it's no longer worth anything close to that. There's more regulation coming. There's concerns, very valid concerns over the reliability of the content. People would have found that if they went looking for information, say, on what's going on um, in the Middle East at the moment. Um, and it's just got to the point now where um, he himself is very inflammatory and the companies are reacting by companies that they kind of, they tried to stabilise their advertising. They brought in companies again who are now exiting again. And there's only so much of that that, that you can sustain over a period of time. And if you look at the uh, the companies like Lionsgate, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Sony Pictures, Comcast, NBC Universal, I, I've never noticed ads for these guys on, on X, which might be another issue that, that, that uh, they, they might be concerned about. Um, but yeah, he's picking fights with everyone. And like, you know, the, there's advice for, for, for leaders in business of, you know, don't just do something, stand there. And uh, there's certainly a, a case for this. Just, just you know, get on with running the business. Um, I, I, this cult of the, the CEO being outspoken, um, it, it doesn't work. Well, the, the White House has, has um, jumped into the fray. And the European they, Commission is in as well, you know, yeah. So Biden has, um, according to one report, excoriated Elon Musk's tweets, describing them as abhorrent. IBM then pulled their advertising and Elon Musk's response, I'm not making this up, this actually happened, Elon Musk's response to IBM pulling their advertising was to have a go at them for their role in the Holocaust. <laughs> Yeah, it's the whole thing is bananas. You wonder, and even like the times that he's tweeting these things, you wonder like, are you on something? Like, are you, is this, what's happening here? I'm very, I feel like I don't have enough education, which is not something that I feel a lot, but I don't know enough to understand why this is happening. Like, I don't understand. He's basically defending anti-Semitism, right? Saying, yeah, someone tweets, Hitler was right all along. And then he comes in and he starts tweeting about how this is a correct phrase or something, you know. But I don't understand. Which is an example rather than an actual instance, we should say. Sorry, it's an yeah. example. Yes, someone did. But someone did actually tweet that Hitler was right. And then somebody else replied to that. And then he replied to their tweet. Gotcha. Um, but basically all underlining the same thing, which is he replied saying, you said the actual truth, which was the response to the response. And... I just don't understand why, one, yes, okay, as a businessman, he knows that a lot of these companies, especially in the US with uh, the entertainment industry, a lot of them are run by Jews, Israeli Jews sometimes, but sometimes just cultural Jews. Mm. And I'm not saying that because you know that your money is coming from a certain population, you shouldn't, like, but, but I don't understand where the... There's but no it's also logic. not just the Jewish population. I mean, that thing that he tweeted about the black versus white murder rates, it completely removes all of the impact of education, of poverty, of community reality, of crime in the US, of the legacy of, of um, black population subjugation, all of which feed into those kind of patterns. Mm-hmm. And it just says, let's pretend none of that happens and let's look at who kills who, which is an evident dog whistle to get people riled up in a way that is race-based. Yes, but the whole platform of Twitter is based on 140 characters. We remove nuance, we just just get inflammatory. And I think kind of like the last time we were on, we were talking about Paddy Cosgrove and what he was saying, Grave Grove, I don't know. Anyway, about his, you know, his dabbling into this situation as well. It seems that on Twitter, we have become used to just tweeting out what we think without any consequence. But now companies are starting to say, actually, no, I'm not 
being associated with this kind of thing. Well, the interesting thing is in the midst of all of this, a company called MediaMatters.org, which I think is a a not-for-profit in the US, it was set up to sort of hold to account particularly the right-wing and conservative end of media and sort of do fact-checking on them. It did a series of pieces where it looked at um, advertisers getting juxtaposed against certain tweets and certain content. And Elon Musk in what I think, Richie, I mean, again, if you put on your, your old business post hat, It's the first time I've ever seen uh, an outlet being sued on the grounds that it will help free speech. That's what he's saying. For transparency and free speech, I need to sue this company into non-existence. Yeah, I mean, like, again, his positions don't hold water. I mean, he called them an evil organisation. I mean, all they did was they pointed out that there, there are companies' ads running alongside hate speech and those companies have taken the decision to suspend their ads for now as, it, as is their want, as is their need. I suppose that's, this has been an issue all the time on, on, on various different platforms of, you know, you're placing your, your content there, but can you control what pops up next or what pops up beside it? Um, I should have said, obviously, he's not the CEO. Obviously, the, Linda Yasserino is and she now has got to kind of come I in. I bet she's loads and of power. She's got to keep sweeping up this mess <laughs> and keep kind of saying, well, actually, no, we don't support anti-Semitism. Actually, no, we don't like hate speech. And, you know, and like if that's your job, you know, if that's what you're doing as a CEO, it's not a great start. See, the thing that worries me in this is there's a text that says, slowly but surely Musk is bringing down the company. Why? Maybe to destroy it for Trump as payback and to give space for Truth Social. Who knows? Surprised we haven't heard anybody surmise this to date. Now, there is a thing on this. Tesla, one of his other small endeavours, is the world's most shorted company. In other words, more people who trade stocks bet against the success of Tesla than any other company in the world. And year after year, it keeps beating those expectations. So is there any possibility that he knows a lot of things that we don't and this is all part of a plan? I'm very slow to invest in those sort of conspiracy theories. He's very rich and very successful. He's very smart, but I don't know that he would risk the reputational damage. Like, I do think that he holds these views. I don't think that he's going, looking at his chessboard, being like, hmm, if I delve into this sort of hate racism speech, I'm going to, you know, I don't I wonder because he's very nice to the Chinese. He's ter- he never says anything negative about anything related to China, which is Tesla's biggest market. So what's his so what's his endgame? Money and fame and space. <laughs> First we get the money, then we get the fame, then, then we go yes. to space. He's just pressing buttons, isn't he? For reactions and see what's going, see what happens. I mean he he doesn't really have that many risks really. I suppose he's he's okay on the money side of things. But it does, surely it begins to further, I mean, I, I, this is sort of, you, you, you begin to wear it threadbare by saying it. But if you take any other media outlet, we are controlled by Commission Man. The newspapers have the press council, they have the press ombudsman. There are forms by which you set general standards. Are they always right? No. Do they make mistakes? Yes. But at least there is somebody acting as like the invisible hand on markets. Surely we've got to get there with social media. Yeah, and like, I mean, obviously, like, the European Commission is kind of leading on, on that charge. And, and some of the response from some of the American companies was like, OK, we'll, we'll, we'll pull out of Europe or we'll take services away from, from, from Europe. Um, but it, like, it, it, it's, it's a constant battle and, um, it, it, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. That's, that's, that's where it is at the moment. Like, the Commission his, is kind of leading the charge on it. Historic this week that uh, loads of US states, red and blue, came together and agreed that they should ban social media for young people and that uh, social media should, like social media places should be held to account and they're all united on this front. Like it's not, it was just a landmark agreement really. Nothing has actually happened. But it's bipartisan. But, yeah. 
Uh, speaking of which, by the way, just as a wrap up, interesting poll during the week talking about America's desire for a third party. Oh, yeah, like tedious. Sorry, I find these. Well, <laughs> I take back my interesting and replace yeah. it with tedious. So I just find this 63% of US people would prefer a choice rather than Trump versus Biden. I mean, obviously, I'm surprised it's not higher, but it's still going to be Trump. I'm just saying it right now here. It's well, on that positive note, <laughs> Stephanie, thank you very much. That's Stephanie Preisner, writer and broadcaster, and Richie Oakley uh, with PR firm Murray Group and formerly Business Post editor. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.